GM, GM, welcome to another episode of Web3 Academy, your trusted source for useful and legitimate information to remain on the forefront of the internet revolution. I'm Jaybird, and we believe that Web3 is going to change the world. That's why we're here to guide the world's top talent into this space to contribute, get ahead of the curve, and capitalize on the opportunity. Today, we're exploring how Gitcoin is disrupting the way we fund and build public goods. This is a fascinating episode with Nate Gosling from Gitcoin DAO, where we dive into what are public goods and open sourced software? Why are they important? And what's broken in the way that we currently build these incredibly needed shared resources and how does Web3 present a new way for us to fund and build shared resources? And exactly how Gitcoin is doing this with projects with UNICEF, with Uniswap, with many other large players in both the Web3 space, but also in the more traditional NGO space. Such a fascinating conversation. It's an absolute must listen for really anyone that believes in Web3 and the power that blockchain enables for funding, for governance, for voting, for community accountability, but also for anybody who wants to see the world become a better place. Nate is just such a great human that really leads us into building a better world together. Nate is a product lead of Gitcoin's Allo protocol, which is their new protocol that aims to provide open source solutions for anybody to use Gitcoin grants in their fundraising and in their allocation of funds. Previously, Nate led product teams at Flatiron Health and ShareThrough, and we dive into so much in today's episode. So buckle up, everybody. We got a great one for you today. Before we jump in, let's just take one minute to hear from our lovely, lovely sponsor. The future of social media is here, and that future lives in Web3 on top of Lens Protocol. Web2 social platforms are broken and ripe for disruption. You see, the epicenter of social media is the creators, and yet they are the most neglected. Web2 platforms like Facebook, TikTok, and Instagram are all essentially robbing creators of their worth. Creators are a new type of entrepreneur, forming new types of businesses. Yet with Web2 platforms, creators don't own their content or their profiles, and that's their product and business. Instead, they are tied to the platforms they choose to create on. Well, just like how crypto is freeing us from banks, Web3 is freeing us from these centralized platforms. On Lens Protocol, creators own their content, own their profile, and even their social graph and followers in the form of NFTs. This allows you to move freely from one social application to another with your content, profile, and followers moving along with you. Lens Protocol enables self-sovereignty for your social graph and interoperability across the internet. At Web3 Academy, we believe this is the future of social, and that's why we partner with Lens to ensure that the path of social media is heading in the right direction. Visit lens.xyz to learn more today. Are you building a community around your brand? Well, listen to this. At Web3 Academy, our motto is community first, profit second. Why? Because engaged communities tell you exactly how to improve your product and ultimately drive growth. They act as team members, recruiting new customers and providing crucial feedback. And they become brand super fans, sticking by you through thick and thin. But to engage your community, 
you must first understand them. That's where Chasm comes in. Chasm is our go-to Web3 tool for managing and understanding our community members. It combines both on-chain and Web2 metrics all in one user-friendly dashboard. With Chasm, you'll know things like which other communities your members are part of and which of your campaigns are truly driving results. That's why at Web3 Academy, we use Chasm to launch campaigns, optimize growth, engage our community members, and automate workflows with this all-in-one tool. If your community is already on chain, get to know them better with Chasm. Head to chasm.xyz using the link in the description and discover why top brands like Immutable, Nifty Labs, and Collab Land are using Chasm. Nate, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Good to be here. Nate, I'm so excited to have you for so many reasons. I've been a big fan of Gitcoin for many years and following you guys closely. But before we jump into everything Gitcoin and some really exciting things that you guys are working on that's coming up at East Denver, which is a next week by the time this recording will air, let's go back a bit. Let's start from the beginning of how Nate originally got into Web3 or crypto. How did you sort of follow down the rabbit hole? I'd say it's definitely more Web3 than crypto is what pulled me in. So my background is in tech. I've been working in startups for the last 15 years at this point. I've done them in a few different industries, healthcare, media, things like that. But I've always been a real food lover at heart. So when I left mm. my last job before Gitcoin, I was exploring a couple of different food and business ideas. Like how could I bring like tech and food together? And I ended up talking to a lot of chefs. And one of the things that was really interesting about chefs was like, they were all starting to experiment with, I don't want to work in restaurants. How can I be a professional culinary expert? And as I was talking to them, like a lot of their problems were coming down to like, how do we pool funds? How do I own space? How do I have flexible space? How do I have these sort of creator style platforms. And I just got really excited about this idea of community on platforms. Some of my favorite products in web two are those platforms, you know, it's the Spotify's of the world. It's YouTube. Mm -hmm. like, there's so many interesting things that you can go in. But I think what is really powerful about web three is like, rather than having a third party owning that platform, there's an opportunity for the community itself to own it and to govern it. So I think there's a lot of assumptions kind of built in that. Like we haven't figured out how does a community effectively like run a platform and product. I was so excited about what it could mean for different communities to be able to like work together and like fund what they need in a really flexible way. And mm -hmm. I found Gitcoin and kind of the rest was history. At first, when you mentioned food, I thought you were going to bring up Fly Fish Club, Gary V's tea-based <laughs> restaurant. I was like, no way. Is that where this is yeah. going? <laughs> I, you know what? I am a, very interested in the idea of like, what does a neighborhood-owned restaurant look like? And mm -hmm. like, what three sort of unlock that? Which I, So I think like there's something there, but the angle that Gary V took on it was just like way too like, highbrow. Like, I feel like restaurants need to be like neighborhood spaces, second space. I feel like everything that's sort of been pushing food in the web three space has been a little more like high end oriented. Mm -hmm, what do we do with mm -hmm. all our, with our NFT bags? And mm -hmm. I kind of want to get into <laughs> like, all right, how do we make this attainable to a local community? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and I think for better or for worse, the current NFT, and I'm going to put NFT in air quotes because NFT is a misused word so much of the time. 100%. Any new tech, it's always about profit first and everybody just wants to make money. So that's where we're at right now. We're not yet at the point of the idea of like just owning something within a community because you support that. There's not a lot of that yet. Right now it's still, do I make money off this? I live in New York. <laughs> Cost of living is high. I want to make mm -hmm. money. I want to support my family. I want to do all those things that you do. I feel like that's really important. In sort of the Web2 space, 
I feel like we started getting to these real like outsized gains where you would build this platform, you would get the network effect. And then all of a sudden it was like one sort of company owning everything. Yeah. And I think what's really interesting about how we're starting to think about protocols and what those can mean is that we're going to see this really cool explosion of viable small businesses that I think haven't really been able to exist in the tech space in the past. Getting back to this idea of like, what could a small studio do or like a 20 person company do if they have the resources of some large protocol platform that they can build on? I just think there's something, there's a there there. And mm -hmm. that's one of the things that keeps bringing me back to. There's also like a societal desire for that now as a result of, as you said, what really happened over the last 20 years with the internet, which was yeah. fantastic. Don't yeah. get me wrong. It's so easy to hate on Facebook and hate on all these big web two companies, but look, they allowed us to connect. They allowed us to engage. They allowed us to share photos yeah. with our grandma in ways that we couldn't before. Like that's oh, incredible. Yeah. But it also, as you mentioned, it did lead us away from community. And yeah. I think we all want that. And we need that. And so it's interesting how things happen and how sometimes tech can play such a role in more of a general need of humanity, which I think is really where we're going with this conversation today. Before we jump into Gitcoin, I want to sort of set some context for our listeners around public goods funding and building open source infrastructure, you know, words that appear all the time when we're talking about Gitcoin. Let's first explain the category that Gitcoin fits into. Do you guys consider yourself in the category of public goods funding? What is public goods funding to you? Can you give us some definitions and sort of a high level overview? Yeah, definitely. So Gitcoin, I think one of the things we're probably best known for is this meme of public goods and build and fund <laughs> public goods. And I think you know, if you look at the textbook definition of public goods, generally what people are describing are things that are non-excludable and non-rivalrous, meaning like no one's person's use of that thing can prevent you from using it or like take that away from you, you know? So mm -hmm. like the classic examples for things like that are air or national defense or like mm -hmm. public parks, like someone mm -hmm. using those things doesn't prevent you from using those things either. Similarly, I think, you know, open source software falls into that pretty neatly as well. Like someone else deciding to fork and use your code doesn't prevent another person from doing mm -hmm. the same and building on top of that. So I think what's been really interesting as, as Gitcoin's been evolving is like, we're very much believers in public goods and we want mm -hmm. public goods to keep evolving. But I think as we've been growing and interacting with more communities, there are these like really valuable things that communities may want to put money towards that aren't technically like public goods. Mm. We were talking about like community on restaurants before, like restaurants mm -hmm. are great for the neighborhood. They bring foot traffic, they bring kind of cachet to a neighborhood. Mm -hmm. If a community owned that, it isn't technically like non-excludable, non-rivalous. You know, there's only somebody mm -hmm. in the restaurant, you're going to make money from those things. But that doesn't mean that it's not this idea of something that's super valuable for like a given community and what they can do. Like it might raise mm -hmm. property value. And maybe that aspect of it is like the problem. <laughs> I, don't, mm -hmm. I don't know actually once we get in there. But so I think what's been really interesting is like we've been moving into like public goods is really at our core. But I think there's like this second order that we're calling shared needs. Um, okay. I think it's also like super powerful and that we're building towards. So we would definitely consider ourselves both a public goods and a shared needs kind of organization. But mm -hmm. we can get into this a little bit more when we talk about like what we're building and how we're organized. But I think one of the things that was like our initial in for this was this idea that like public good funding today, it's been existing in like local communities for a long time. If you look at, 
you know, taxes or fundraisers or communities, mm -hmm. governments, like all of that is like, how do we take these resources that we've acquired and like funnel them back into public goods funding, like education, mm -hmm. or things like that. And there are a number of challenges with that. I think one of the classic kind of challenges is the idea of like a free rider problem where like one person may be able to consume more of a public good than they may actually need or deserve mm -hmm. or um, mm -hmm. equal or fair. So we think there are these fundamental tools, one of which is quadratic funding, which I think we're going to get into later, that can start to like attack these problems in different ways. So make it mm -hmm. a little bit more, I think, equal in terms of your access to a public good. I think mm -hmm. also giving communities more say in sort of like, what are their public goods? So maybe that's the TF. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. So we sort of got, we got a few different side to whether it's public goods or shared resources, we've got the funding side to it. And we can talk about that and how that currently works and how Gitcoin is doing that differently. The building side to it, which is deciding once you have the resources, once you have the funds, where does that go? How do you distribute that? What's the voting? You know, who has the power over that? And then Maybe we've also got this greater community side to it of just the power of community, using it long-term, upkeep. Are those sort of the three yeah. categories? Did I get that right? Yeah, I love that framing. Let's switch from public goods to open source infrastructure. So how does open source infrastructure funding happen right now? Is that funded through VC models? And what are the challenges and problems you see with that? The answer is it's not funded well. Open source software is the backbone of everything we know about the internet today. Like there are so many open source projects that are powering every app that you use. And a lot of those you know, projects are just labors of love. It's someone who has cared about the problem, wanted to work on it, wanted to build it. They basically subsist on donations. There isn't a way for them to sort of collect funds for what they've built. And that was really the core of like our first grant funding program was open source software. It still is one of our like core grant programs is mm -hmm. how do we fund open source projects? I think what's really interesting about Web3 and where that's going today is like there's sort of an initial, a new set of tools to allow builders of open source projects to collect funds. Like you can charge mm -hmm. fees in more usable sort of like repeatable ways. You can funnel those to people that have like help support. There's just all these different ways to sort of collect and distribute funds mm -hmm. with like the tools that we've been building in Web3. And that to me, like we haven't quite cracked what that system is yet, but that's sort of, again, what we're building towards is like, how do we make it so that people who are building these open source projects are able to live sustainably off of those things. So there's mm. techniques like fees, like we've described, our friends over at Optimism are also experimenting with retroactive public goods funding where you can build an open source project and you can go back and people can vote on sort of the impact and usage of that tool and almost give them the sort of like exit after building a successful piece of software. So maybe to sum it up, I would say funding of open source software up till now has been like fundamentally broken. I think mm. there's a ton of burnout for people who are building and working on, on open source projects. And I think it's in a place of transition right now where there's kind of this explosion of new tools and methods for how to fund it. Mm -hmm. And I think people are doing a lot of experimentation around like what the right model is. How do you do that in a repeatable, livable way? Why is there an explosion right now of open source software? It's not something we talk enough about, but it really is at the core of Web3. 
100%. Where's that coming from? For me, what's interesting, I think, about the narratives around Web3 is it feels like such a return to like the Web 1.0 days. You know, I think a lot of like the early computer and hacker culture was all, you know, garage groups, homebrew, sharing ideas, hacking together. Here, I built this, you use it, try it. It's very like mm -hmm. communal oriented. Mm -hmm. And then we saw this launch of Web2. And I think the reasons that Web2 moved to this more kind of consolidated, centralized, private space were kind of sound. You know, a lot of it was around how do you provide mm -hmm. a good user experience? Like, how do you make right. it safe? How do you provide security? But now we're just seeing that, like, if you put it all in one place, it's a really irresistible place to go and hack and try and steal and like do all this. Mm -hmm. stuff. Web3 to me feels just like sort of a return to that element. People have realized that this idea of centralized data or centralized funding or centralized storage and infrastructure needs some sort of economic model. It seems like the tools are there, or at least like the raw materials are there to build tools to collect that funding. I think you're starting to see, oh, okay, this is now viable. Let's right. do more of this. Like I know that this is powerful and how do we move towards that? Right. And that's exactly what you guys are building at Gitcoin. And I don't mean to keep teasing that we are going to talk about this, but I just I have a few more questions about yeah, yeah. sort of the current state. So we talked about the different categories of funding and building. I think one of the issues that we see a lot is the issue of transparency, accountability. How are we able to use Web3 and Web3 tech to incorporate more transparency, more community accountability in the allocation of these resources to open source? I think it, a lot of it comes back to sort of like the fundamental nature of blockchain. At its core, most blockchains are this publicly available and distributed ledger of who owns what or what is what, whatever the state is that you're trying to record on that blockchain, it's enabling it is the ability mm -hmm. to do that. And I think having this sort of secure way to store this information publicly, I think is really what's starting to like unlock this idea of transparency and legitimacy. It's really interesting if you talk to folks who are not too deep in the Web3 or crypto space because they might look at it and still have like the Silk Road kind of opinion of Web3 where it's like totally anonymous and private and no one knows anything. And it's like, yes, it's that, but also it's 100% public and <laughs> you can't hide anything, you know? It's a really interesting kind of point in time where like we have this ability to really surf the core information and create this mm -hmm. audibility. And I think we're going to get into this when we start talking about what Gitcoin's building, but like we're building tools that we want to be fully auditable. And I think where we're starting with is we know that we can store things publicly on chain immutably and that anyone can come and look at those things and that's step one for us like every sort mm -hmm. of decision point or design point we want to make sure that that it's recorded what that mm -hmm. person did and then i think what becomes cool beyond that and this is something that like the data teams at gitcoin are working on is like how do you then access that data you know how do we make that readable mm -hmm. to the average person so i think we're at this point where like we can record everything on chain and like it's now getting easier to be able to like access those things on chain and i feel like the next step is sort of okay how do we make sure that you don't need to be a data analyst to be able to like check those things on chain. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I mean, it makes me think about just because it's topical in the news right now was Russell Wilson, who's a NFL quarterback, very successful. He's got a foundation and it came out recently that his foundation only directs 24 cents for every dollar towards the needs of, that they are fulfilling towards their charitable members, which is incredibly low if that's the truth yeah. and who knows if it's the truth it could not be the truth and it could just be media creating a story there's a real polarization around media we don't need to get into that but the point is because of the lack of transparency there's no way to know where this is going and we have to wait for the media to break a story like this for us to figure this stuff out and 
what you're doing can solve all of this. Yeah, 100%. This kind of ties it back to open source. I'm going to take a, a brief detour. I promise it's brief. I'll come back. But when I was working at Flatiron Health, a lot of what I was working on was you know providing data sets and data methods for cancer researchers. And mm. there's this incredible community of statisticians and analysts who are working on like really interesting research with these data sets. But they haven't necessarily come from like data science background. So a lot of their mm. code that they're doing for this is copy paste. But as you start to see these more open source tools come up, it, you're starting to just increase the auditability and viability of these tools where like if you do an analysis mm -hmm. and uncover something new, you don't need to wait such a long period of time for someone to like rebuild your analysis and go from there. You can say like, I mm -hmm. use this audited tool that we all know about and I got mm -hmm. these results. And I think mm -hmm. we're starting to see that now happen with other sectors as enabled right. by blockchain. Finance, I think was really the first place that it started. You know, we're thinking about it in the community and public goods funding space. You're seeing it with art. It's just cool to start to see these like open source tools now enabling us to work. We have sort of the open data and now it's like, how are we building those open tools to let anyone like really understand what they're working with? We've talked about decentralized science recently, and yeah. Pfizer was part of a raise for DAO, which is aiming to bring these scientists together and create research that is better authenticated because one of the biggest issues in science is it has to be like in a certain journal before it can be considered yes. valid. And it's so hard to get into these journals. And so it just slows innovation down, right? 100%. So I think what yeah. you're talking a lot about is like the speed of innovation, the exactly. flywheel that can come from blockchain is very different than what we're used to. That sort of leads me to this next question around one, I think the thing that is very exciting about this is this opportunity to tap into the collective intelligence of the community because the way that we can do funding now also involves governance. That wasn't really a thing before, right? Before it was like you give and then you have no say. Again, what we just said, that flywheel, I think the speed of innovation picks up because you have more people involved that can participate in a meaningful way. Yeah. I think this is one of like the aspects of Web3 that like I have the hardest time explaining to folks outside of Web3 because I think it's easy to sort of describe what we were talking about before of community-owned platforms mm -hmm. and the idea of like, okay, why does Web3 uniquely enable that? There's these big sort of ifs around governance and ownership. And those are the things that I feel like we're really iterating quickly on right now. Like if I look at mm -hmm. your average DAO governance right now, Gitcoin included, I don't think anyone would say like, this is the end state. You know, this is how mm -hmm. governance should look. This is how it should work. But I think what's happening is we're seeing the ability to like innovate quickly through a lot of those different governance methods to figure out mm -hmm. like, okay, what is the right way to do this? And sure, right now it's the believers, it's the early adopters, it's the people who are willing to like take those extra UX steps to actually like engage mm -hmm. in governance and be part of it. Mm -hmm. If Web3 is really going to take off, we need to sort of cross that chasm and like, mm -hmm. how do we make governance a really, you don't even have to think about it. You use the platform and it's part of your day. Like the average Uber mm -hmm. driver or Uber user doesn't want to have to vote on like the next Uber mm -hmm. pay scale, but they do mm -hmm. want somehow to have a say in how like, Uber, the platform operates. A lot of what we're building and like one of the things that I'm really excited about for what we're building, like we're starting very much with a grants program and that's something mm -hmm. that like Gitcoin is known for and is a natural state. But if you abstract that away, a lot of that is like how do communities make decisions? How do they govern sort of like their resources and what they're doing? And mm -hmm. that 
is 100% governance. And I think internally, whenever we're talking about what we're building, I can't wait to test this with budgets. Grants are awesome, <laughs> like really exciting. But like, yeah. how can we start to sort of generalize that to other spaces too? Okay, let's lead into Gitcoin here. Let's so yeah. give us the 30 second elevator pitch. What is Gitcoin? Yeah, so Gitcoin started as a grants program. It was how do we take funds and distribute those to open source software projects. I think what was unique about what we were doing was that we adopted a model that Talek and some of his collaborators first put out there called quadratic funding. If you think about a basic matching pool, I have $100,000, I'm gonna give it away to projects or I'll match up to $100,000 when mm -hmm. everyone is giving. Mm -hmm. Whoever sort of gives the most money to a given project, like that project is also gonna get most of the pot. It may only be one person who gave $50,000 to that project and then everyone else gave, you know, a dollar or $10 to other projects, mm -hmm. but it still mm -hmm. looks like that is the most valuable thing to be doing mm -hmm. there. What quadratic funding does is create a more democratic sort of method of allocating that where the amount of a matching pool that you get is actually way more dependent on the number of unique contributors who are donating to you as mm -hmm. opposed to the volume of dollars that you're getting. But that's a little bit of a simplistic way because we do sort of like weight how much you are donating to projects. But the idea is that you want to be finding things with broad appeal, the things that are closer to a public good than sort of like right. a one individual pet project and like see where that kind of allocation is. So that's where Gitcoin really started was this grants program using quadratic funding to do that. Over time, I think we were meeting more communities who wanted to be able to use the same mechanism. So we started building out a platform to do that. We worked with Uniswap, we've worked with climate initiatives, a number of other kind of ecosystems in the Web3 space. And I think what we're learning is that every community is going to have a slightly different way of wanting to do that. You may want right. to tweak the algorithm, you may have different who's eligible for these funds. There's a lot of different ways right. you want to like customize that type of a grants program to a community. So what Gitcoin is today is both a grants program that we still use to fund public goods like open source software and climate. Those are kind of our, our big like classic funding pools. But then we're also building this open protocol and software for mm. running these community allocation programs. So basically any community can come in and spin up a quadratic funding grants program using our tools. Yeah, that totally makes sense. So yeah. let me just repeat quadratic funding for a second, because I do think it is, it's almost better to go to Gitcoin's website and watch the short video that they have that is very good at explaining yeah. it. It's a tough one to understand verbally, but yeah, essentially it's this idea that money shouldn't be the only decider in allocation. So it's not who gives the most amount of money that should decide allocation. It's also the most amount of people. So that if you had one person give $10 and 10 people give $1, that the 10 people who gave $1 should be able to direct, have stronger exactly. direction because they have more people. And we're trying to appease the most amount of people, not the deepest pockets. Exactly. Exactly. Am I simplifying that? Well, I've Nailed tried it. to explain it on the podcast before, so it's not yeah, my yeah. first time doing it. <laughs> no, I feel like I keep experimenting with like, what's a different way to say right. it? It's like, if you show it to someone visually, they're like, oh yeah, that's great. You get it right away. Yeah. But trying to do it in language is a little bit challenging. But it's important, you know, important. Uh, both you and I were talking about, we're both dog owners. And yeah. when you're training a dog, you need to use language and language oh. is what connects us all. So it's good practice for sure. Yeah. I want to dive into this protocol that you're building in this yeah. new tool that you're building. But before I do, was there anything else sort of high level you want to talk about 
At Gitcoin, do you want to give us any other data or information or overview? In a nutshell, Gitcoin is a community of people who are both building and funding public goods. So building yeah. these protocols, also running this public goods program, we're believers in those public goods and how do we just kind of make the world a better place? I'd say we're sort of like quadratic funding maxis, but yeah, I think that's probably the top line you take away. Okay. Cool. Okay. So let's dive into this new tool or this new protocol that you're building. Can you give yep. an example of how it's being used? And then we can talk more in detail about it. Yeah, definitely. So I'm going to give a, a hypothetical example first, because okay. it, it's one that we've been talking about with a potential partner. I'm not going to dox them because I don't want to give it away, but basically they're a sports organization and they have a really cool use case for quadratic funding where they're trying to get communities to fund local basketball courts. Mm -hmm. There's kind of this idea or knowledge that like the more sort of local basketball courts you build, like it becomes a focal point for a community. It becomes a rallying mm -hmm. point for a lot of what you're doing. Mm -hmm. So they're running a quadratic funding program where basically all these different local court projects are applying and saying like, I mm -hmm. want to receive funding. The program is putting up a certain amount of dollars in matching funding. And then they're going to use our algorithm to decide based on other people's donations, how much of that should be allocated. So basically like when a project is in a quadratic funding round, they're getting two streams of funding. They're getting the direct donations from people who are supporters of them who are saying like, yes, this is important. And those mm -hmm. donations are counting as their votes for sort of like how those funds should then be applied. So then they'll mm -hmm. get a percentage of this like overall matching funding. Mm -hmm. But it's a really interesting use case because I think, you know, they're looking at this on a global scale and it's becoming a really cool way to sort of like tap community intelligence around like where are their vibrant basketball communities and mm -hmm. where are there people who want to like invest in basketball as a hub. Mm -hmm. So by seeing like, okay, yeah, all of these people are donating to this project. They're just getting this incredible data point on sort of like how do we build a network of basketball lovers. I think what's really powerful about quadratic funding too is because they're using this QF model, it levels the playing field. Like if you are looking at a local court project in the US versus mm -hmm. a local court project in a third world country, mm -hmm. you're not necessarily going to have the funds to compare across those, but you may find yeah. that like the third world country is just going to be able to get such a higher volume of donations that they might actually get a lot yeah. more funding than we've done otherwise. It's a really cool sort of application of what we're doing. And it's the type of thing that I'm just like, so excited to see more of. You get a much better end result because if somebody was to go and say, yeah, I want to, in your basketball court example, which I love because yeah. I had dreams of being an NBA player when I was young, I'm yeah. six foot five. So I'm a tall guy. I did not make it anywhere close to the yeah. NBA in case anybody's wondering. But if you were to just say, okay, I want to support basketball communities and build basketball courts, you know, you do your research and you'd probably pick the best communities that you thought deserved either a new basketball court or a refurbished basketball court. But how do you know that that exactly. basketball court is actually yeah. going to be used or that people in that community even care about basketball? Maybe they're yeah. tennis players. Who knows, right? Exactly. And so with this model, it's almost like you get people involved in the project before the funding even gets spent because now yeah. I'm invested and I'm excited about that project that's coming. And where does that lead? Is there opportunity to involve the community? Yeah. I mean, I want to shout out like another example of exactly how we're describing this too. We ran a, a round with UNICEF on our new project mm -hmm. back in December and theirs was a similar use case where they had put up a bunch of funds. They or put up some matching funds and they accepted, I think it was like 12 different NGOs from around the world into their, their matching pool. And they ended up getting almost doubling their matching pool in individual donations. So wow where like they could have just distributed that money to those individual projects, 
but now those projects are getting two and three X what they would have got in that model because they have these like these supporters. And it's a great signal for UNICEF because now they're seeing like, okay, which of these missions and projects are actually mm-hmm. impacting people's lives. That's right. where people are donating or like, this did something for me. How do I sort of right. get that funding out of it? When I'm explaining this to like my mom, I'm usually trying to use like Kickstarter as an example, <laughs> you know, like okay. when people are yeah, yeah. to Kickstarter, they're like, I believe in this. I got some sort of symbol that I participated in it. And now I can like track what's happening with this project. We want to be able to do the same thing with what we're building. We're creating these structures where like you can sort of create a project profile and build up reputation over time. But then Mm. because everything's on chain, you know, like who you donated to and you can go and say like, what are they doing now? Like what is their open source project? You can go and look Mm -hmm. at their GitHub and say, oh, they've shipped three new products in the last Mm -hmm. you know six Mm -hmm. months. Like this is great. Maybe I want to give more money to them. There's so many different factors that play into it because then like Mm -hmm. as a donor too, you're discovering all these interesting new projects, uncover new communities. Like there's just such a cool sort of melting pot, I think, of, Mm -hmm. of ideas that are coming together in these. Mm-hmm. And where my mind goes to, as I was a, I spent over a decade as a digital marketer. So I'm naturally marketing is my first incline when we talk about any business yeah. example, <laughs> is the power for the organization to have access to the donors. Now, I don't know what sort of access they have. And also having somebody's wallet address 10 years from now, that's going to be like having somebody's email, right? You're going to be able to direct message their wallet address. You're going to be able to share so much with them. Like it's a marketer's dream, right? Right now it's a little bit, as you said earlier, we're we're learning and experimenting and testing a lot with everything in this space. But I'm just curious, are you seeing that at all yet? Are any of the organizations taking interest in the donors and involving the donors in any way? Absolutely. Yeah. We had our our old centralized platform Mm -hmm. pre what we're building now, which was called like a web 2.5 stack. And that we had a couple of contracts for distributing the funds, but we had your classic centralized database and user profiles and all of those things. Outside of like the funding, the next most important thing to, I think a lot of the projects were the ability to like interact with their donors. We had some features where you could email them, you can like post to a board. I think there were a lot of projects that built up their following through like what we're doing. I think we, a lot of times we use like Uniswap as like our classic Mm -hmm. success story at Gitcoin where Mm -hmm. They started as a, an early project. They received some funding from us. They graduated and got some funding from the Ethereum Foundation. And now they're huge and everywhere. Huge. But it's crazy. That sort of interaction, I think, is really powerful. You know, when we talk about, like, who are the different players and constituents in this ecosystem we're building, it's kind of three-sided. There's the community managers themselves, like the people who are running these programs. There's mm-hmm. the community members or donors. And then there's the projects. And I think what you start to see is this really interesting interaction where like community or community member may like start hyping projects that are in their round, which Mm -hmm. unlocks that projects like knowledge of all these other rounds that are happening and they can start to like Mm -hmm. build their following and go from there. So you're exactly right in terms of like the technical limitations right now. We're like, because Mm -hmm. we're building this in a decentralized fashion, we don't have the ability to like have a centralized kind of messaging service. But I think there are ways around that. And like, those are the things that we're starting to think about now. There's some really interesting protocols looking at messaging based on wallet addresses. You can sort of fake it with other sort of like message boards and things like that. So there's some really cool things we can do with it. But that, to your point, that interaction between project and supporters is so important and something that we want to keep building. Totally, totally. We had Matt Galligan, who's the founder of XMTP, which is a protocol, an open source protocol that's for messaging. And we dove deep into that and the way that they are 
looking to disrupt the way we communicate online. I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole today. If you guys are listening to this, go back and listen to that episode. It's just from a few weeks ago. But what I do think is so powerful is just the power of composability and interoperability in Web3 means that you don't even have to build the messaging platform or the messaging service. By building on-chain, then somebody else can come along and they can tack on their protocol or their service yeah. and then away you go. And now you've got that ability. That's a great segue into sort of like what we're building and like what we're doing. A lot of what we're doing is sort of like enabling this really interesting point in the chain. With Web3, I feel like there are so many interesting ways for people to raise funds. You know, you can do token mm-hmm. sales, you sell NFTs. Like there are all these different things you can be doing to just be like collecting funds as a community. There's also mm-hmm. all these ways that you can like pay funds, organizations like Radical and Splits who are figuring out like, how do we sort of direct payments in different ways? But what's been missing in that layer is the like, how do you decide who gets the funds and like how Mm. much of those funds to get? And that's really where we're trying to like dial in and like offer a protocol where like any community can like pool their funds at the front. They can decide how they want to give those funds to the things that matter. And then they can Mm -hmm. use whatever their favorite payment protocol is Mm -hmm. to pay that out and work Mm -hmm. there. So as we're thinking about integrations like XMTP is something that we've looked at. We've also been talking with Radical and Splits about how do we make our protocol interoperable so that we can Mm -hmm. really focus on that community-based decision-making and make that like a really strong experience and then let sort of the people who are experts in raising Mm -hmm. funds, distributing funds or anything like that really own those spaces. So going back to the basketball example, what's the go-to-market strategy in that case? So you mentioned the different stakeholders you have, and Mm -hmm. I imagine you must have a team that focuses on the community manager side of going out to community managers, connecting with UNICEF, explaining to them the model, saying, hey, we think we can, you know, help you match and allocate funds better. And here's how it works, blah, blah, blah. What I'm more curious about is on the donor side, because of the UX challenges of Web3 and the fact that not a lot of people even have wallets yet or no. So what does that look like? Are you finding that only crypto natives are donating right now and that that's the only space that's active? I mean, in the UNICEF example, maybe you can speak to that. Right now, it's primarily like the crypto natives who are interacting mm-hmm. with these tools because of you need a wallet to do it. So when we talk about either quadratic funding, we're using dollars to vote or quadratic voting when you just have votes or tokens to vote. The key vulnerability of that type of model is what's called a civil attack, where mm-hmm. the whole thing that this is predicated on is like, you want to make sure that whoever gets votes from the most unique people gets the most money. Mm-hmm. But if you can pretend that you are a hundred unique people, you can mm-hmm. game the system and mm-hmm. kind of move beyond that. So one of the other things that Gitcoin DAO is building is what we call the passport protocol. And a lot of that is based around decentralized identity. Like, can you verify mm-hmm. that that is a individual unique human in a way that still respects their privacy? That's one of our core integrations with our protocol is this like using passport to verify that these uh-huh. individual donors are unique people. It creates this dependency for us, at least right now, in terms of like, you sort of need a wallet address because that's what our tools for like verifying identity are really built around that. But back to like this idea of integrations, I think we're like really close to having some really cool opportunities or projects. Like there's a lot of folks who are looking for or are working on ideas of progressive wallets or progressive login, where you can sort of create a wallet with an email address or some sort of more web two identifier mm-hmm. um, and you can fund it, you can do whatever you need and then interact with these web three 
kind of environments. And then like once you're ready to really step in and like lean into it, you can evolve or like graduate sort of your on-chain identity and what you're mm -hmm. doing. I think right now by it, we're like limited to like Web3 natives or like the Web3 curious. Our hope is that the technology in the next three to six months gets there to where it's really easy for non-Web3 folks to interact and be part of this. And then I think it's mm -hmm. off to the races. It's mm -hmm. something that we're hoping someone else can, someone will build right. through more of their organizations who are building it. Sure. But that is something that we see as like super powerful and important. Yeah, it's the Reddit model or the Starbucks model in that if you buy an NFT on Reddit, you buy it using the Reddit vault and yeah. the Reddit vault is not connected to anything else. So it keeps you safe. The UX is more simple. Now mm -hmm. in their case, they're free NFTs, but it keeps you safe. And then once you're ready and you want to graduate to that next level, it gets into this centralized versus decentralized conversation. Of, I think sometimes we love to, you know, yell from the mountaintop about decentralization and the power of it. And it's so important. And yes, don't get me wrong. There is a lot of validity in that. However, there is a lot of people who have no idea what they're doing with Web3 and they need security and safety when they first yeah. enter. And centralization offers that as your entry point and then you can go to decentralization. I think for people who are new to Web3, it often comes across as all decentralized or bust kind of thing. And yeah. it, actually, yeah. I, I think the deeper you get on the hood, the more I just feel like it's a misnomer. Our society has sort of like mm -hmm. pushed really far in the centralized direction over the last 50 years. And now we're like, okay, what are the parts of this that are maybe better decentralized? I don't think we're going to get to a point where it's 100% decentralized. I think it's going to no. be like, what are the aspects of our lives that are better governed by decentralized methods versus a small mm. centralized team? Yeah, completely. I meant to ask this question before. Is there any numbers or stats that you can give us on yeah. GrantStack so far? Pre-GrantStack, Gitcoin ran, I want to say it was like 15 different grants rounds. And I think we distributed about 70 million in funding across those different rounds. So different pools, wow. it's donations, matching funds, things like that. Since we've started working with GrantStack, so we ran our first round with UNICEF in December on the protocol, and we've run another four alpha rounds since then. And over those, we've distributed $2 million. So that's wow. about 1.25 in the matching funds. And then another, call it 750,000 in direct donations from individuals. So it's definitely there. Like we're excited about it. I can't wait to have it out in the world. <laughs> your energy and your smile really shows excitement. I love it. So let me ask the direct question. How does Gitcoin make money? Yeah, it's a great question. So Gitcoin is a DAO. I'm employed by Gitcoin DAO. The way that we are structuring ourselves is there are kind of, I call it two key pillars of what we're doing. One is the grants program, which is our method for distributing funds to public goods. And then one is this new protocol worlds. What's powerful about that is there isn't a third party ownership that's trying to extract any sort of platform fees around that. We kind of want to like cover our costs and then we want to put everything back to public goods funding. The thing that we're all really excited about at Gitcoin is how can the protocol, Allo protocol that we're building be this great source for like more public goods funding. We're already like donating to things, spending money on things. How do we make sure that we're creating this really regenerative sustainable loop that goes back to the things that we care about as communities. So as far as the way we're structuring this, we are building Allo protocol with the ability to take fees, protocol fees for like usage, which is very similar to what you've seen with Uniswap or any of the other mm -hmm. DeFi protocols. There's some sort of fee component. Right now, like our team is building it, but our long-term goal is that this ultimately decentralized and is like governed by 
Gitcoin DAO, like the broader community. Mm -hmm. And the DAO is going to have the ability to decide what they want to do with that fee switch. They can turn it on, they can turn it off, they can collect those fees. We're also building like a series of apps called Grant Stack that you can use to work with the protocol. If you don't have a dev team, you can just log in and create your round and it's super easy. Mm -hmm. And we'll also be taking enabling the protocol fee for like rounds that are running there. But what's nice about that is we can run it at very low percentages. We basically have to pay our development team a living wage. And then anything mm -hmm. over that amount, the plan is to like funnel back to our quarterly public goods grants rounds, where again, the community will be able to decide what are the things that we want to fund? What are the things that we find most important? And kind of go from there. At the moment, Bitcoin is funding itself off of our token. But the hope is that we can move to this world where we're in this really great feedback loop of Communities mm -hmm. running programs, us taking a small percentage to like help them run those programs and then taking that percentage and just putting it right back into public goods. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the funding off the token, did that come from just an initial, an ICO basically? Yeah, exactly. And that exactly. raise gave you enough? Because you guys have been doing this for a few years. Let's yeah. the runway. <laughs> I, I want to say we launched the token like two years ago. So yeah, there was like initial sale. We're obviously still emitting tokens and we haven't mm -hmm. like got everything's on a time lock, but it's basically entering the ecosystem right now through salaries. We all get right. paid in GTC, but, but yeah, pretty wild. But we feel like this is sort of a community investing in us. I think the people that you find attracted to Gitcoin are ones who really care and believe in this idea. They've given us a platform to be able to like build a tool like this. And the hope is that eventually it gets to the point where it's sustaining itself. Yeah, incredible. I think we might have to have you back in the future to do more of a DAO tokenomics governance conversation yeah. because yeah. that is also so fascinating. I can't imagine what you say to your parents when you tell them that you get paid in GTC. <laughs> What's their reaction? You should have seen me try to pitch that to my wife. It was okay, even better, even better. Yeah, yeah. I avoid it. I was like, well, it's worth some dollar amounts. And as long as I pay rent, it's fine. <laughs> yeah, so interesting. Okay, let's go back to Grant Stack. So you guys are going to be at East Denver. Yes. How can people get involved? Yeah, yeah. So as I was saying before, we try to differentiate between Allo Protocol and Grant Stack. Allo Protocol is the thing that we've been like, really heads down on lately. We want to make sure that there's this really understandable protocol that builders can come and build new mechanisms and try to like to that idea of experimentation. Quadratic funding is more of a category than it is a specific mechanism. I think there's a lot of different ways that people think about quadratic funding and tweak it. We don't think that there's like one canonical way to do it. And we think there's some really small but vocal part of our community who wants to experiment with those mechanisms. So like that's a thing that we've been building for is like, how do we make it easy for us to like speed run these experimentations? So when it comes to ETH Denver, that is basically when like the first version of Allo Protocol will be done. We also are launching the MVP of what we're calling Grant Stack. So this is the apps that you as a community manager can use to come in and run a grants round. Right now it's, you'd be able to come in and run like a quadratic funding round and you'll be able to accept projects. Projects can apply to you. You can accept donations in crypto on a number of different chains. And at ETH Denver is kind of the availability of our public beta, I guess. This is very much like a first version for us. We've been focusing, I think, more on the, the underlying protocol. And so there's a very like simple UI that'll be available at ETH Denver. But then as we look to sort of a couple months past that, you'll start to see a lot more like release around a documentation that's going to be available. And we want to get to a world where like by the time, you know, March, April rolls around, a self-serve group can come in and just spin up a QF round with all of our best practices, hit an wow. easy button, 
and they're there. So it's exciting. At ETH Denver, we're going to be introducing everything, talking people through the vision and what it looks like, showing them people will be able to like log in and play around with the tools. Yeah. From then on out, it's just going to be more and more quadratic goodness. Quadratic goodness. Is that a commonly used slogan? I love that. That just happens. <laughs> I need a hat that says quadratic goodness. That's really good. Who would you be hoping to interact with at East Denver? And what would you be hoping that they would yeah, achieve I, or, or do with you? We really see like the core users of GrantStack as program managers and community organizers, the people who are trying to pool and distribute funding for their communities. So I think we're starting to see some like a really interesting kind of archetypes of people. You know, there's mm -hmm. like UNICEF is a great example of the NGO who's really excited about like what this can do for nonprofit funding and community mm -hmm. funding. I think there's a natural sort of web three protocol use case. Mm -hmm. I mean, we talked mm -hmm. to like L2s and anyone who's like collecting fees and like trying to funnel them back into projects like Nouns DAO, mm -hmm. one that we're always like super excited about. Anyone who's trying to figure out how do I better distribute the funds that I have in Web3, mm -hmm. those mm -hmm. are the people that we want to talk to. The thing that I am just so excited about and want to see more of is like, how do we start to cross over into local communities and what does mm -hmm. that look like for neighborhoods and things like that? Like I, I think the basketball example from before is like a really mm -hmm. cool opportunity like can we use this to start impacting people's physical spaces we ran a couple of test rounds with the city of boulder and the city of oakland around like funding nonprofits in their communities so those are also like if you have some web3 users and want to talk about it great or even if not yeah. like web2 payment rails are not too far no that's the thing we're also super excited about so long story short if you are a community who wants to pool and fund the projects that you care about we want to talk to you like if you have a grants program awesome. Mm -hmm. You're trying to figure it out. Come talk to me. We can help you figure out how to make it work. And right now, since you're sort of in this in between the protocol and just the MVP of the app layer, the grant stack of this, are you handholding more right now with projects? A little bit. Yeah. I think one of the things that we're like now really focused on from the UX side is that QF is a nascent idea that we've invested a lot of time in understanding but the actual like implementation of that can be a little confusing if you haven't been exposed to like what it is. Like you can sort of like grasp the concept, but the actual like, how do I implement it isn't always obvious. And like, that's the thing that in the next month or so, we're going to be really digging into like, how do we just create a really simple, easy button so you can mm -hmm. run a QF round that is safe and usable for your community. So we've been thinking about QF internally for three years, four years at this point. There's a lot of like institutional knowledge so a lot of what we're doing is teaching, you know, building runbooks, building UX. Mm -hmm. Part of the reason that we were launching the protocol was we were starting to feel like bottlenecks for mm. more communities running QF rounds. And we really want to just like open that up and make this possible for anyone to do. Amazing. Is there any round if somebody out there wants to experience QF, not from the community manager standpoint, but more from the donor standpoint, is there a round happening right now? Right now, no, not on the protocol. No, okay. We just wrapped up the Gitcoin alpha rounds. Right. And we've got so much good feedback. We're kind of going through and like cleaning all that up. Not right now. But there are some great organizations that are running benefits. Like Giveth right now is running a, okay. um, a donation round for Turkey and Syria, which I think is great. Okay. Amazing. Yeah. I want to move on to a speed round. But before I do, any final thoughts, Nate, to share anything else? Any other show you want to give or anything you want to direct listeners towards? Man, public goods are good. Definitely like keep an eye out for us. Our next grants program is going to be running in April. That's the program, not the product itself. 
Yep. And there's going to be a ton of funding going towards that. So we would love to have people come and contribute to some of our projects then. I feel like I need a hat that says quadratic goodness and then a t-shirt that says public goods are good. Then I'll be fully kitted out for you. Yeah, yeah. We'll be the ones in Denver wearing the public goods hoodies. Yeah. Nice. Awesome. Okay. Look out for Gitcoin merch. I guess you guys have got that. All this good stuff that we're talking about. You guys are going to have this at East Denver. Yeah. Our Um, design team has been building some very beautiful things that are all going to be available at Denver too. Sweet. Super exciting. Yeah. Sweet. Okay. Speed round. Couple quick questions before we wrap here. What's a must-read book that you find yourself recommending to people? The Order of Time by Carlo Rovelli. Every time I describe it, it sounds like nerdier and nerdier. It's basically it's the book around like why time doesn't exist by a, a physicist, but it's actually one of the most beautiful things. He's an incredible writer. It doesn't read like science or anything like that, but it's a great reminder of how important human connection is. Mm. So it's one of those books like you read it and you're like. My brain was just expanded. I don't know how, but this is beautiful and I want to think more about it. So, Is it fiction? No, it's nonfiction. Um, It's nonfiction? Yeah. yeah. So he actually like kind of takes you through how time is, doesn't actually exist. Like we have a perception of time, but there's no sort of physical rule that it's like grounded in. So it's all sort of how we perceive it. Is psychedelics or mushrooms a precursor to reading this book? (laughs) Doesn't need to be. Um, (laughs) It might help expand your mind before. But it is an incredible book. Like I can't remember. Cool. Okay. One thing you've bought recently for under $100 that brings you joy. My wife and I are huge food people and we love cooking. We love doing everything like project cooking, like you name it. I just bought a pizza peel for like, okay. kind of like moving pizza around when it's in okay. the oven. And I get way too much enjoyment out of that. It, <laughs> I'm not a pizza expert by any stretch, but I don't know. There's something about feeling like you're making the pizza. That's just incredible. A pizza peel. Okay. Yeah. That's a new one. That's a new yeah. one. I have, nobody's mentioned that before. My wife and I also love to cook. So I might have checked it out. Do you have a special oven, like a wood burning oven or anything like that for pizza? So, or are you just regular? We were doing like a pizza stone in the oven, which was probably like... Mm. The mm-hmm. previous, like what was the best thing under a hundred dollars that we got? But my family kind of pitched in some money for my birthday recently and we got an uni pizza oven for the backyard. So now that's our Ooh. go-to toy and it's a lot of fun. We, we oh, damn. Fun. Make friends with Nate so you get invited over for dinner. Holy geez. I, I think that's why my <laughs> friends are friends with me. It's, it's, it's yeah. Okay. Last question. If you had a billboard that 1 billion people were going to see, what would you write on it? Oof. Man, this is a good question. This one came from Tim Ferriss. Tim Ferriss used to ask this question on every one of his shows. He doesn't anymore, unfortunately. Tim, if you're yeah. listening to this, A, I love you. B, start asking this question again. Please, please bring the question back. I think one of the things that's been really, like, really interesting to me over the last four or five years is how destigmatized talking about mental health and taking care of your mental health has become mm-hmm. with like people from all walks of life. Like not in like an intense way. It's mostly like once I started thinking about this, this is amazing. And I had no idea this was the way I could sort of think about the world or talk to someone about the world. And I think there is that stigma that people are like, oh, it's mental health. It's mushy. There's something in there that makes me feel uncomfortable. But if I could do anything, it'd be like to tell people this is a thing you can think about. Like, I don't know what my pithy phrase is for it, but that would be some of the, at least the message. I love that. That's the longest billboard that anyone's ever said, Nate, but I like the message. I'm going to need 16 billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri, but whatever. I'm not a marketer. So yeah, that's my job. The, the line's going to be. That's my job. I thought you were going to go with public goods or good or something like that. So I appreciate We've that. already got plenty of those. We, so. already, we already talked about we, We've got the merch at Denver. I've got the, the hoodie. No, we got to try with something else. 
Okay. Yeah. See, that's how we know you're not a marketer. The marketers on this show just pitch their own products. You know, they'd be like, yeah, just go to my website. They put their website or something. Go check it out. Do what you got. Yeah. Yeah. Nate, this has been a pleasure. Thanks so much for the time. Really appreciate everything you guys are doing. Shout out to the whole team at Gitcoin. We need more builders like you in the space. Thank you so much. And yeah, thank you to my team. The people I work with are incredible. So it's awesome to be able to talk about what we're doing together here. So thank you. Thanks for listening, everybody. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to Web3 Academy. We hope this helps you along your Web3 journey. If it does, please share this episode and subscribe so you don't miss the next one. Nothing in this podcast was financial advice. Crypto and Web3 can be risky. You can literally lose it all. In fact, if you invest on account of what we say, you probably will lose it all. So don't do that. In all honesty, the point of this podcast is to remove the noise of markets and price and focus on utility and implementation anyway. So you should not take any of this as financial advice. Thank you, friends, and see you in the next one.